I want you to find with me again Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter two. I'm going to read this uh, verse 14 from the ESV. From time to time, people ask me, "Hey, is there a certain version that you would recommend that you trust?" And uh, the English Standard Version, uh, published a few years back, is tremendously accurate and a lot easier to read in some translations, and I would recommend you, if you're looking for something that has some of the uh, stylist uh, aspects, like the King James, but is more readable, you'll appreciate the ESV. But it says this, but thanks be to God. How you know we have a lot to be thankful for? Who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. How often? Always. Always. How often should we be in triumph? Always, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. How many know we can't spread the fragrance of the knowledge of Him if we ourselves are constantly in defeat? Amen. There's nothing more than a Christian that's totally defeated to stop up the flow of the Word. Amen. To triumph means to gain the mastery and victory after some serious conflict, battle, or test. The bottom line is you can't triumph if there's not been some kind of a challenge. Raise your hand if you've had some challenges maybe in the past year or two. Look at somebody and tell them I've had more than my share of challenges. Thank you very much. The good news is if that's the case, then you're qualified to triumph. Let me say that one more time. You're qualified to triumph. That's for you this year, glory to God. Um, it's the same thing with when it comes to salvation. I mean, who, who can be saved? Who qualifies to be saved? Those who have sinned? Good. Yeah. Amen. Right. Yeah. Look at somebody and tell them, I know you qualify. <laughs> if you've had a challenge, you've had some kind of a situation, an obstacle, this is that time for you to triumph. There is a special anointing on God's people this year to cause you to triumph over your circumstances and enemies. In fact, there's no enemy so big, no situation so entrenched that God is somehow limited in turning that thing around in your life. This is that year for you in Jesus' name. The Bible says in Revelation 12, if you want to turn there, I'm going to read this from uh, about verse 10 and 11. And I heard a loud voice in heaven. Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of the brethren is cast down. Now we see this coming uh, projected apocalyptically and through prophetic utterance and revelation of what is to be. You and I understand these principles also apply to you and to me or they wouldn't be there. And how they will overcome in that day, we will overcome in our day. Scripture says, the accuser accuses them before our God day and night, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Turn to somebody and tell them, never be shy. Pleading the blood. When you do, you invoke that covenant, you invoke that redemption, you invoke that citizenship in the kingdom of God. By that statement alone, when you have revelation of what the power of the blood is, what the blood of Jesus did for you, what it provides, it's powerful to say, I plead the blood. Amen. Listen to me carefully. You ought to be pleading the blood over everything that pertains to you. Amen. You ought to be pleading the blood over your kids every single day. 
Devil, you're not having your way in my kids. You're not having your way in my grandkids. You're not going to do what you want to do. They're going to do what God wants them to do. And they're going to triumph in Jesus' name. Plead the blood over your finances. Plead the blood over your own health. Plead the blood over your vision, your ministry, your workplace. Don't shy away from doing that because there's victory packed in that. Listen, if Jesus told you something would bring triumph and victory, you and I should pay attention to it. You and I are victorious because of what he did. Hallelujah. He also talked about not just the blood, but they overcame by the word of their testimony. Testimony is not primarily for the house of God. It's perfectly fine for us to do that, and I enjoy testimonies. I love to hear great testimonies. But what he's referring to is being his witness outside the church door and telling your story. Who Jesus is and how he found you. Hallelujah. What he did for you, glory to God. What the scripture says. Bragging on the Lord, thanking and praising Him for what He has done, and pointing people around you to the Lord that if He did it for you, He can do it for them. Can you see already by pleading the blood and being outwardly focused, your day is automatically going to go better today, and tomorrow, and the next day. But it's not these two principles alone. He also leaves us with this statement, and they love not their lives even unto death. In other words, they were engaged in a lifestyle that's very different from a lot of Christians today. They had a vision and a focus that went beyond anything that could happen to them, anything happened around them. They were focused on a certain way to live. The scripture tells us from the NIV, they triumphed him over him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Say it with me, I'm going to triumph. Through the blood, through my testimony, and through my lifestyle. It's probably dawned on you right now that a lot of Christians live a compartmentalized type of Christianity. They will go to church, even in this town they'll go to church, and they'll put in their 55, 60 minutes, an hour and 10. They'll sing a few songs, they'll hear a sermon, and that'll be the last thought they give to the things of God until they maybe get up in another two or three weeks and go again. That lifestyle is not capable of triumphing. Don't make me sit on this point for an hour. That type of lifestyle is not capable of triumphing. I was having a conversation the other day with somebody, and I I said the body of Christ in America is about a millimeter deep and a million miles wide. It's not enough to be saved and call yourself a Christian and associate yourself loosely with the things of God. If you want to triumph, that's not going to happen. Amen? Uh, You've got to be in a certain way of living, a manner of living, that, that obviously takes into the consideration that unless you get into the flow of what he's doing and into the things of God properly, you're not going to advance, you're not going to become deeper, you're not going to excel in the things of God, and there's no way to triumph. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I don't want to be around where God's Spirit is blocked. Um, I want to be where God's able to do what he wants to do. Where the uncompromised word is preached, And the Spirit of God is allowed to have inroads 
in a service, but throughout that week, throughout that month, throughout your life, letting him flow and do what he needs to do. In other words, your life doesn't revolve around you and then tack on church as an insurance policy or because it's culturally popular to do in certain sectors, but because you're completely consumed with him. There's nothing in this world you love more than your God. Look at somebody and tell them it's a lifestyle. lifestyle. Come on, say it again. It's a lifestyle. Let me say it to you this way. Too many people think that victory is a matter of God's will. And only certain special people can triumph. But the reality is that our lifestyle determines our level of victory. You and I have the ability, by choosing the right lifestyle, to affect our lives daily and head ourselves constantly in the direction of triumph. But it's a lifestyle. Come on, say it with me. It's a lifestyle. We may not realize it, but we actually sow the seeds of our own defeat or triumph by how we live our lives day to day. Neither triumph or defeat happens in a day. Come on, say it with me. Neither triumph or defeat happens in a day. It just doesn't work that way. There is a, an accumulation effect that takes over that line upon line and precept upon precept, here little, there little, you begin to mold and fashion a lifestyle that is capable of triumphing. And there are people who live just the opposite. They hear a little from the world and they're a little from the world and, and line upon line and precept upon precept, they wonder why they are defeated. It has to do with lifestyle. Everybody wants a little magic bullet, you know? Come to this service, so-and-so big child will be here, he'll lay hands on you, and he'll fix everything. Can I tell you, that's not even biblical. Amen. In fact, if you'll look at scriptures like Deuteronomy 30, I'll just read a portion of this to you in uh, around uh, verse 19. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. How many know that life sounds better than death? And blessing sounds better than cursing. Now what? Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land before uh, he swore to give your father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Notice this, choose life, and he, didn't, he then goes on to define it. Listen to his face, uh, to his voice. Lo- love, his, uh, love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, hold fast to him for he is your life. Let's say this one more time. Say it with me. Now choose life. Love the Lord. Listen to his voice. Hold fast to him. For he is what? Your life. There's never been a more important time than it is right now to hold fast to him. Amen. Look at somebody and tell them, I refuse to be a millimeter deep. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean, we're dealing with a massive epidemic of shallowness in the body of Christ. Where somehow spiritual formation did not get past pre-K. 
And this is the overwhelming majority right now in the body of Christ in this country. One of the things God's going to do is this end time outpouring uh, takes place is he's going to be on the path of maturing those who will. Amen. Growing up those who will. Come on, shout out and raise your hand and say, that's me. That's me. I'm one of them. I want to be more than just a millimeter deep. And the only way that happens is a lifestyle with God. Love God. Listen to God. Hold fast to Him, for He is your life. Well, I tell you what, you don't need to really hear anything else today except for that. So let's just close in prayer. Not going to happen. Because you know me, if that was my sermon for today, I would expound on every one of those points over the next six weeks. Come on, say, love your God. Listen to your God. Hold fast to your God. He is your life. That's the essence of this. There are three types of lifestyles. There are three choices, if you will, that you can make. Now listen, listen, write this down. A lifestyle represents the values and the habits and the attitudes and standards that constitute the manner or way a person lives. The lifestyle is the values, the habits, the attitudes, the standards. Everybody say the standards. That constitute the manner in which a person lives. Now, when he says choose life, how many of y'all have figured out that it's not choosing life the day you got born again? It's choosing life when? Every single day. I promise you, you need life every single day. You need what he has every single day. Well, like I say 20 years ago, that should have done it. No, it didn't work that way. How it works is you staying diligent in a proper lifestyle and choosing that lifestyle every single day. Listen, the world is calling to you every day. Compromise is calling to you every day. You've got to decide every day you're going to walk with God. Amen. There are three lifestyles, three choices. One is the worldly lifestyle. The worldly lifestyle is one of compromise and carnality and being influenced by this and being influenced by that. Years ago, I got a hold of a book by a man named John Maxwell. Raise your hand if you ever heard of him. Of course you have. <laughs> and he said this, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. But I don't think he foresaw somebody who would take a half-naked picture and throw it up on the internet, and then the world would call them an influencer. That if you see them wearing something, or you see them you know, holding something, or you see sunglasses on their face, they're influencers. They're going to influence me to go do that. Well, I don't think so. You've not been called to be influenced by the world. Are you here today? Influencers. Really? Let's call it really what it is. It's idolatry is what it is. <laughs> Carnality and flesh and, and no restraint. If you read the King James every once in a while, you'll come a, across a, a word, lasciviousness, and that just means there's no breaks on that person. There's no restraint on what they do. They enjoy it and they keep on doing it. The second choice is the religious uh, lifestyle. 
duty and fear and guilt, rules and control, obligation. I'm going to check this box off. I'm going to come to service for 70 minutes and then go about the rest of my day and the rest of my week, you know, my real life. Your real life should be in him. The rest of your days is an expression of your life in him. And that's where the issue lies. You can choose for the worldly. You can choose for the religious lifestyle. Or number three, you can choose for the godly lifestyle. And the godly lifestyle is one of relationship with God and one that honors God. It's one where God is at the center of your life, not you. It doesn't make any difference about your plans and what you think because God is the one that you're supposed to be serving. Amen. And I want you to think about this because there are a lot of people because they choose regularly worldly things or religious things instead of godly things, they're not even candidates for this great triumph. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to get ready, though. Come on, shout it out. I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready. I'm more than a conqueror. Come on, shout it out. I'm more than a conqueror. You know, I, I shared this before, but there was a man that came up to me one time in, in this church, and he said that I was talking to a, a successful businessman in town, and he said, where do you go to church? And uh, he said, I go to Hope Harbor Church. He goes, ooh. <laughs> and these are the exact words he said. He goes, that's for serious Christians. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, what? Shouldn't everybody be serious? You know what he was saying? You can't just tack on Jesus at the end of your week and be satisfied there. Standard's going to be what? Higher. And just checking off the box and going about your business. The scripture tells us that we triumph through a godly lifestyle. Go to 1 Corinthians 13, 13 for a moment. Let's kind of set this up for you today. Turn to somebody and tell them it's how you live. It's how you live. One more time, it's how you live. I prayed to receive Jesus one day, I'm fine. No, it's more than that. Let me put it to you this way. Your prayer of salvation, your commitment to him, and your heartfelt acceptance of what Jesus did for you, your confession of him, confession is made into salvation. Yes, you can be a millimeter deep and go to heaven. But you cannot be a millimeter deep and have triumph and victory. Well, it doesn't matter. I know I'll go to heaven. Praise the Lord. No, you should care about modeling triumph here and now. He paid too high a price for you to just skirt into heaven one day. Amen. He said in verse 13, these three abide. Faith, hope, and love, and what? The greatest of these is 
love. What's the greatest? Love. The greatest of these is love. Now, when it says to abide, it means to remain or to continue or to continue modeling these things. The lifestyle that brings triumph is a lifestyle where there is active faith, active hope, and active love in your life. And you get up tomorrow morning, and guess what? You do the same thing all over again. There's a certain way that we live. There's a certain manner that we live. There's a certain way we do things, and we do them according to the Word of God that tells us remain in these things. And you say, well, that's just simple. Yeah, we're people of faith, we're people of hope, we're people of love. Yeah, the first time somebody talks ugly about you and you get into the flesh, that's how simple it is. <laughs> somebody caught, catch you off in traffic and you're ready to run them over. No, you don't need to work on your love at all. Start believing God for your healing. I believe I receive my healing from this sickness. I believe I receive my, my healing from this sickness. Get up tomorrow morning and a new symptom appears and all of a sudden you're paying more attention to the symptom than the word of God the day before. The day before you were a faith giant. Today, guess what? I don't understand. I don't get this. I don't get that. Well, you understand that this is not a one-time shot. And if I read the Bible correctly, and I believe that I do, faith, hope, and love will never disappear. Now, come on. You don't want to be going to pre-K when you get to heaven now, do you? This is the lifestyle of the victorious believer. And I'm telling you that you never know when you're going to need this. And how many know you're going to need it pretty much what? Every single day. Every day you're going to get to practice your love. Every day there's going to be something that will try to depress your hope. Every day there's going to be something to get you out of faith. Hallelujah. Some challenge. Um, we are, uh, Timothy and I were in Fort Worth for the Minister's Conference this past week, and it's always wonderful to watch people who have learned this and model this. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? And, uh, you know, I'm not just... Uh, I'm going to say this to you because I know that some of you like me respect certain ministries and love certain ministries. But here's the bottom line. I noticed something. I noticed that somebody like Keith Moore is in every single service listening to every word going forth. Some folk would fly in and fly out. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Andrew Womack, the same way, every service, take it in the Word of God like these men have never heard anything before in your lives, folks. That's how you live the lifestyle of faith. You never outgrow it. You revisit it. You prioritize it. You continue to value these things. And um, Timothy was downstairs in the lobby. I, was, I think he was talking to, uh, to Kelly. And uh, all of a sudden, this man, instead of walking through the doors... He walked right into a plate glass window right next to the doors. He thought that was going to open up. Just kind of bounced off just like that. And, uh, you know, hit his nose and people with him. I guess his wife was kind of laughing about it. And then it started to bleed. And uh, Timothy looked at their, their lanyards and said, uh, uh, you, you were the minister's conference? <laughs> and they said, yes. And Timothy goes, it's always fun to be with Timothy. There's a healing service tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and there was. Richard Roberts was there. A lot of people just instantly got healed. Glory to God. And then the funny thing is, they sat two rows in front of us in the meeting. <laughs> she kept on going like this. And, you know. 
Say it with me. It's not just a job with Timothy. It's an adventure. <laughs> Amen. Are you still here? Amen. Say it one more time. Faith, Faith. Hope, hope, and love. And love. What? The greatest of these is? Love. Let me just uh, get into this a little bit with you. The details I'm going to be sharing uh, tonight, I believe God has something very powerful for you. But I want you just to have the general uh, you know, construct today to understand how important this is. Every single day, your lifestyle should be marked by faith, hope, and love, and not the kind that's defined on the plaque of some Christian bookstore. But understanding these principles, what the Word of God actually means by them. First of all, it's a lifestyle of faith. Hallelujah. When it comes to faith, the scripture tells us four times, Romans 1.17 is one of those four mentions, the just shall what? Live by what? My faith. That tells you it's not just something you try, it's not just something you put on. Well, I did that for a while, but I've, I've grown out of that. I can't tell you how many people have come to me through the years and said, I have outgrown faith. Well, where did you grow into? Because the Bible says that faith is what? It is the prescribed way to live. Four times, the just shall what? Live by faith. The scripture calls faith a law. Amen. It's basically the way we receive from God. The same way you got saved is the same way you receive from God. You believe in your heart. You save with your mouth. And confession is made unto salvation. But it's also made unto healing and deliverance and provision and protection and everything else you can think of in terms of our redemption. So it's a lifestyle. It's the way we're supposed to live. Faith spurs action or faithfulness. Living without care because you cast those cares on him and walk by faith. The lifestyle of faith is believing God and his word and then doing what you believe. If you really believe something, guess what? You're going to do it. If you really believe you're charged to do certain things, you will actually do them. It's a foregone conclusion. It means walking in devotion and fellowship with God daily. There's a sermon series we did last year about this time of the year. It's called the what? The one thing. Remember Luke chapter 10, your Bible is forever creased in that particular place? Yes, amen. And I'm telling you that immersion in his presence, immersion in his word has never been needed more than it is today. Jesus, quoting Deuteronomy, said, man, what, shall not live on bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The manna would come down, what, daily, yet Christians would go stretches, weeks, months out of church, weeks, months out of the word, weeks, months out of his presence, and wonder why they're so defeated. But to walk by faith means you've got to have living contact. It means you've got to be in the Word. Faith comes by hearing and what? Hearing by the Word of God. Now, I understand uh, if you apply certain principles in the world we live in, you could, you could get people to come into a building and sit through a service. There doesn't have to be an ounce of anointing there. And the problem, because the, the lack of depth in the child of God, they wouldn't discern it if it wasn't there. But how many understand we should be hungry for more than just gathering and moving out, gathering and moving out? 
And can I tell you something? We believe in, in social activities. We believe that the, the, the poor should be fed and, and those should be clothed and they should have medicine and there should be clean water and there should be shoes and there should be education. But can I tell you something? The primary mandate of the church is and always will be to preach the gospel in power and to seek and save them that are lost. We are not called to be a social service agency. Other people can do that, but they can't do what the church is called to do. And so down through the years, people begin to build churches based on program. They call it a program-based church. If you've got all these wonderful things, people will come. It'll be a wonderful thing. That's the Sunday school program, for example, exploded in the 50s and 60s this way. Then people began to you know, do what I call the personality-driven church, where there's somebody who's like superstar, just attracts people because they're charismatic and because they, they seem to have something to offer them that they want. Notice that you can watch somebody, but not necessarily be transformed by watching somebody. Amen? Have you ever gone to a rock concert in your heathen days? We won't take a poll. <laughs> you know that you can have a good time, draw a big crowd, and not be transformed. And smoking pot doesn't, doesn't count. It's like Dr. Barkley says, you weren't revelating, you were hallucinating. <laughs> Amen. But you weren't transformed by it. Then in the last uh, you know, 20 years or so, purpose-driven church. Focus around the purposes of the church. But you, when you go back to the very beginning of God's interactions with people, whether you're talking about David or Moses or Abraham, you find out that the real call of the church is to be presence-driven. Come on, say it with me, presence-driven. God's presence, God's word. God's invasion in our lives. God breaking forth with spiritual gifts and dynamics. God confirming his word with signs following. Amen. Amen. But you have to have a hunger for that. Amen. Because listen, all the words projected on a screen, all the lights, all the drums, all the things that people do to try to make a call out to the world, nothing will be worth anything unless the presence of God is there to transform their lives. The Holy Ghost must be there. Everybody say it with me. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. And I don't, I don't want to trade the Word and the Holy Ghost for anything. I want God to do what He's going to do, but do it the way He's always done it. And that doesn't mean we can't learn and grow and do things with excellence. On the way to the meeting the other day, I saw a little church that was in total disrepair. And on the outside was a sign, such and such Baptist church. Everybody say, God bless the Baptist. Because the name on that sign could have been any denomination. I said it could have been any denomination. And it said, church the way it used to be. And I don't even know that a rat would want to crawl in there and get saved. So I'm not saying that, but I'm saying... It's a choice deliberately every single day to walk in his word and in his presence and function that way. Amen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Yeah, plead the blood. Share your testimony every chance you get. But make sure you're walking in a lifestyle that produces victory. I poke somebody and tell them, you're never going to outgrow faith. Well, I tried 
that faith stuff and it didn't work. No, my brother, my sister, faith tried you and you didn't work. Amen. Are you here today? Um, it's really easy just to shift your eyes and focus on all of the kinds of reasons. But the bottom line is your job is to stay in the word, stay grounded in his presence. You're going to be triumphant this year. Amen. In a lot of ways, I'm, I'm talking to the choir, but how do you know that we need to be reminded? Yes. You know, remember last time you had a nice juicy steak? Mm. See, that was a mistake on my part, wasn't it? it was, that was a mistake on my part. Some of you now are lost at Tom's and Sirloin. When I say pork chop, what do you think? <laughs> oh, yes, amen. Let's just reel this one back in. <laughs> no matter how good that steak was a month ago, it's not nourishing you today. Amen? And yet we don't see as tangible the things of God as we do things like physical food. And yet the spiritual food is more instrumental in your health than the physical food. Does that make sense? It's a lifestyle of faith. Number two, it's a lifestyle of hope. Everybody write that down. It's a lifestyle of hope. Why is that in there? The Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, put it in there. These three should remain, abide, continue faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. What is hope? It is an eager expectation. Amen. An eager yearning, a, a white-hot desire. It is something that you have seen through the things of God, through the Word of God. It is an, it is an attitude. It's a horizon for you to look at. And how do you understand? Oftentimes, our hope does not match our reality. Say this with me. My hope does not match my reality. Listen, brothers, it's not supposed to. Hope is to take you beyond your reality. If you're broke today, hope takes you beyond that reality to where you're increasing. If you're sick, hope takes you beyond the reality of being sick to what? To see an inner image of yourself being whole and sound. It's incredibly important because you can't get from here to there or anywhere without Bible hope. And we're not talking about wishing and hoping and praying. We're talking about Bible hope that's based on the Word of God. And what happens is as you stay in the Word of God, this horrible image on the inside of you of, of deficit and sickness and disease and failure and depression, God begins to replace that with a new image based on His Word. Both images won't stay in there at the same time. One's going to win. Now, how often do I need to refresh this? Every single day, neglecting the things of God, this begins to fade. Then the old thing comes in and begins to redirect your life. Hope is like, you know, a directional aid. It's like GPS. It will keep you on target and keep you going where you're supposed to, but only if the picture's right. Do you know you have 100% control over the picture on the inside of you? Let me try that one more time. You have 100% control over the picture that's in your heart and life right now. That makes sense? The Bible tells us that the God of hope will fill us to overflowing with hope by the Holy Spirit. Romans 15. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. 
You and I are blessed people because we have some understanding of these things. Which means that you should not have a time or a certain season for vision and for hope. You should live this way. What's the dominant vision inside of you? What's the dominant picture on the inside of you? Whatever that is, that's where your life is going. How many want to go to the place that God wants you to go? Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Um, it's important for you to understand that God's not the one limiting you. Yeah. Right. Amen? Who's limiting me? me? We are limiting ourselves. Yeah. You know, um, every breakthrough in our society and the world has come through people who could see beyond the current reality. Why is it that the world seems to understand this more than people in the body of Christ? In 1901, there were men that got together in their favorite diner near a big stone fireplace, and they began to talk about what life was going to look like in the 20th century. This was on the, the cusp of a brand new century. And these were, you know, people that we celebrate today, but at that point in time, they saw things that other people didn't see. And the first man began to speak, and he said, you know, I believe that uh, one day technology will be such that we can actually, you know, have all the sounds of a symphony in a handheld device. 1901. He said miniature devices for the ears so that you could hear multiple sources at one time. He talked about mastering electricity to do whatever man wanted to do. And a man behind the, the counter who owned the establishment just kind of sneered and said, you guys are just talking nonsense. That man's name was Edison. Another man began to speak up, and he said, well, you know what? I foresee that, you know, I built this car as a hobby for me. He said, I, I foresee that by the, the turn of the next century, everybody will have automobiles or they'll have access to automobiles in this country, and it will even transform the world. There'll be highway systems that connect all the states and the counties, and if somebody wants to live out in the rural area, they can still have the benefits of going to the city because of transportation. The guy from behind the counter said, you're a bunch of idiots. The man that said that was a man named Henry Ford. 1901. How did you get here today? Amen. The third man said, I'll take you a little further than that. I believe we'll master technology that, that just here on earth won't be, we won't be limited to this. We will, we will fly into outer space. We will go to the moon. That's not from John Kennedy's acceptance speech. That's in 1901 by a man named Harvey Firestone. He said not only that, he said the automobile business will spin off all these other kinds of companies that support the automobile industry. For example, tires. Amen. And this guy said, you know, I've had it with you guys, you know, my customers are listening to this stuff. Normally you guys have good humor conversations, you know, and it doesn't really get under my skin, but this is ridiculous. He said, I have a mind just to toss you all out. About that time, a little 10-year-old boy who'd been listening to everything that had been said, he comes up to the table and he kneels down where, where Edison is, and he goes, you know what, is that right? That man just said that there are limits, Edison. There are limits in life. And he knelt down, and he wanted to know if Edison actually believed that. And he said, do you believe that? Are there limits? 
And he got down and he knelt and he grabbed the little boy by the shoulders and looked him straight in the eye and he said, there are no limits. Come on, shout it out. There are no limits in God. And what are we bound by? Bound by our experiences. Bound by the pushback. Bound by what didn't go right. It's time for you to dream again. I said it's time for you to dream again. Get your dreamer going again. Amen. Say it with me. Lifestyle of faith. Lifestyle of hope. I'm going to dream again. Come on, shout it out. I'm going to dream again. Praise God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, I first heard that story uh, when Happy Caldwell told it about a year ago. And he came up with the concept, and Tim shared this with you sometime before. It's a principle called Kavu, and it simply means Ceiling, what, Tim? Visibility. Ceiling, what? <laughs> what's, un- what's unlimited? It's an aeronautical term that your visibility, right, determines, and the ceiling of those clouds determines how high you can go. Now, what God wants you to see today is you're the one setting the ceiling. You're the one determined how far you can go. Can I tell you that it's unlimited for you in Jesus? I said it's unlimited for you in Jesus. It's a good day for you. Amen. Because you're going to live a lifestyle of faith and live a lifestyle of love. The Holy Spirit wants to fill you overflowing with new visions and, and new dreams. Hallelujah. How many willing to trade in that old, unscriptural, dead, dog-tired vision for a new one this year? Raise your hand if you're willing to do that. Something new. Glory to God. Amen. It is a lifestyle of faith. Say faith. A lifestyle of love. Say love. It's a lifestyle of hope. Say hope. And the greatest of these is what? Is love. Amen. You might have noticed that sometimes Christians are not all that loving. You may have noticed that sometimes you're not all that loving. Hey, Pastor, can we go back to Deuteronomy 30? (laughs) Listen to this. It's learning what Jesus taught us through the Apostle Paul. Live a life of what? Of love. Live a life of love. You love despite and through hurts and betrayals and evil speech. You make up your mind that you're going to be a person of love and you're going to be part of a church that love builds. Amen. Amen. You've got to have the mindset that no matter how you're treated, you are not going to put your mouth on people as a result. No matter what they say about you, you're going to respond in love and kindness. You're going to respond with the word of God and the grace of God. Let the Lord take care of those. He knows how to do it. I said he knows how to do it. He doesn't need your help. Your job is to stay in love. And you will have times that is severely tested in your life. I want to say something to you today, and I want you to see 
the prophetic bent of this, there are many in this room and you have had the kinds of attacks and assaults that take a lot of Christians out. And the devil is just simply prodding you to get out of love and respond in an unchristian way and that by uh, flunking the test and not going to the next level that God has for you. But glory to God, you didn't do that. I said, glory to God, you didn't do that. You chose to stay in love. You chose to bless instead of curse. You chose to forgive. Now I'm telling you that some people have a problem with this and it's ruining their lives. Are you here today? A believer ought to be able to walk in love no matter what's done to them or who they come across at Walmart. A believer ought to be able to love going to Walmart. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. We're all works in progress. Amen. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Yes, amen. <laughs> I walked into a, a post office one time, and, and this is to the person's absolute um, benefit and, and victory in their own life. And uh, how many know it's possible for me to walk into the post office and see somebody that's not that thrilled with me? But dear God, sometimes I can walk into here and have, find somebody that's not thrilled with me. <laughs> but you got to love me. I said, you got to love me. To know me is to love me. <laughs> and I mean, I've you know, pastored this person for years and years and years, and I mean, they caught me like this. I mean, completely acting like I was not even in the room. And uh, coming to find out, because the very next service, they came to me in tears, apologizing about how rude it was and how wrong it was and how much the Spirit of God had dealt with them. And they went on to say that somebody that was at odds with the ministry was outside, and they didn't want that person to think that I still had a good relationship with this particular ministry and you, so I had to act like I didn't know you or have anything to do with you. Can I tell you something? You can never please a person like that. Does that make sense? I mean, there are people that are ruining their entire families and ruining their entire, you know, momentum in life. Every good thing God had planned because they allowed themselves to get bitter. And the Bible says a root of bitterness will what? Will spring up and defile many. Don't you let that happen. You stay in love. But they're talking ugly about me. We'll take a number. You keep your mouth off of them. Well, I bet you've mastered this. No, that's why I'm preaching it. <laughs> Pastor, all right, keep your mouth on it. Boy, that's good preaching. I'll do that. Praise the Lord. Sometimes it's hard. Yes, it is, but it's a command of the Lord. Praise the Lord. I think you should walk in love. I give that an amen. 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 Yeah, you're going to do anything for God, you're going to have a little more criticism, a little more backbiting, a little more backstabbing. But you know what? It's a whole lot better to be in the will of God. To be in a little hole somewhere saying, well, I'm protected, you know, nobody's saying anything ugly about me. Nobody's saying anything ugly about you that you know. <laughs> it's your job. Stay in love. But can I tell you something? Be careful 
what you say about others in the church, outside the church, people in ministry, you know, outside of your realm of ministry, on television or off, keep your mouth off of them. Because it's just possible that somebody that you're discouraging needs what that person has for their victory. But you reduce that person in their hearing, and now they can't receive from them. That's a dangerous thing to be involved in. And the Lord does not take it kindly. Amen? That's not the lifestyle of love. Hallelujah. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Look at somebody and say, even when they aggravate you. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Use them like a barbell. <laughs> Some of you are, are pumping a lot of weights these days. And what will happen in the end, in the end result, you'll be stronger regardless of what was thrown at you. Amen. Praise God. Say it with me. I am triumphant. I'm more than a conqueror. Because I have a lifestyle of faith and hope and love. You need to treat the poor and the destitute, the disheveled, the ones that don't dress all that nicely, the ones that might even smell the same as those who have been serving God all their lives and have it all together. Are you still here? You need to treat those that are in bondages in and out of the church as if they're completely free. And not walk around with an air that says, well, that wouldn't happen to me. You don't realize that you're in bondage to something greater than a substance. Amen? Remember, every day you're either going to do a worldly, religious, or a godly lifestyle. Every single day. In... 2020, you're going to see people return into the house of God. Not just this one, but houses of God all over the country. This is the year where they're tired of placebo churches and preaching and things that don't honor God and His Spirit. They're going to be hungry for more. Can I tell you something? We're not much of a church if God can't do what He wants to do. We're not much of a church if the Holy Ghost gifts aren't are in operation. And you need to ask yourself a question, why would anybody suppress them? Well, because it might make somebody uncomfortable and they might not want to be involved with it. Let me tell you something. What makes people, you know, delivered and set free is the presence of God and his gifts. We don't need less of him. We need more of him. Well, I'm going to go where it's comfortable and it's easy to be entreated. What you need is to go where you're going to be challenged. <laughs> Amen. And enjoy what God is doing in your life. In 2020, they will go to where God wants them to be. And you got to treat them like they never left. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And that just doesn't mean in terms of the physical body of the church here, Hope Harbor, it means your own life. You're a part of the body. Somebody may return to your life. You treat them like they never left, not have a chip on your shoulder. Amen. You just welcome in. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Let's just grow together. Because even though your situation might not have displaced you, 
what you're dealing with is no greater or worse than what they're dealing with. Amen. Have you noticed you can hide inside the church? Amen. Sister Turley is a longtime member here. She's with Jesus now. This is Lexi's mom. I was a college student, came to church, and I always noticed that she's always worshiped God. She's loving on everybody, hugging on everybody, a friend to everybody, and she's the first one in the service to say amen and the last one. So when I came here to pastor, I was preaching on the book of James and teaching, uh, well, we need to certainly hear the word, but we also need to be what? Doers. And so I made this statement. You know, just don't amen me, amen me with action. And Carol goes, amen. <laughs> amen, brother. Glory to God. Say it with me. Faith. Amen. And hope. And, hope. And, love. and love. No matter how honorary they are. Amen. How many know some honorary people? You won't even raise your hands. Amen. I ain't gonna... won't send you to hell for raising your hand. Praise God. Amen. Let the Lord talk to you today. Just bow your heads for a moment and let Him speak to your heart about how you're doing. Um, are you in a religious lifestyle? Are you caught in a worldly lifestyle? When it comes to the godly lifestyle, how are you doing in terms of faith? How are you doing in terms of hope? How are you doing in terms of love? Are you walking this thing out? Amen. Are you letting people go or are you holding grudges? Still throwing stuff up and rehearsing it or have you put it all under the blood? Amen. You know who wants you to triumph this year more than you do? He does. He wants you. He is the one that leads us in triumph. Hallelujah. If you uh, tend towards a worldly lifestyle, it's okay to admit that. You don't have to walk out of here doing the same thing. Lift your hand if that's you. I just want a prayer today because I, I want this thing to be gone. I want to live the way God wants me to. Is that you? Just lift your hand. I live a little too worldly. Amen. Any others? Live a little bit too worldly. How I many would say that uh, sometimes the things of God to me are just duty, obligations? I'm a little more religious than I am in fellowship with God. Anybody else? Hallelujah. How I many would say with a raised hand, you want to live the lifestyle of a believer, the godly lifestyle? Praise God. Anybody here need some work on their love? You know, it's important because the Bible says that faith works by